This episode of EM Weekly has been archived. The ideas presented by the former host of EM Weekly may not reflect or represent the values of the Readiness Lab and the Doberman Emergency Management Group. Out of respect for the guests who contributed to this episode, it remains available online. EM Weekly starting right now, bringing emergency managers from around the world together to learn, share, and collaborate. Well, good morning, good morning, and good afternoon, depending where you are at. And today, we're going to talk about some cool stuff, technology, uh, drones, uh, and how they can interact and help with fire prevention and also fire response. And I have two of the world's experts coming on here with me. I have um, Ben Miller and Todd Spain. Welcome to the show, guys. It's great to be here. Thanks for having us. Yeah, uh, thanks. I got a duck underneath my uh, my my name right now. I just realized what's what's mm -hmm. going on. Every <laughs> so, all right. So we've all seen. You know, well, I shouldn't say we all. Those of us that have been in this business for a while, especially us on the West Coast, uh, we've seen what fire response looks like. The um, you know the the human uh, amounts of people that come, the thousands of firefighters, the all the equipment that comes in there, and then of course the the aerial attack. And it's fantastic to watch on TV. Um, it's amazing to, to see in person and scary as heck sometimes when they drop the stuff on top of you. Um, you know, so so that's that's been my experience with the, the idea of aerial firefighting um, in, in California. But you guys are changing that a little bit. And so we want to get, kind of get into what that means and, and how it's working. Uh, but first, I'd like to get into a little bit of background. So, Todd, we were talking beforehand. How did you get into technology? It's interesting. I, I had a brother that influenced me, an older brother, and and uh, I was born at a time when technology was pretty backward compared to today. So it it just became a, a the it's it's like an onion to me. It's a, it's a it's a riddle I like to unravel and I like to problem solve. And it seems that technology is a great way to solve a lot of problems. And Ben, same question. How did you you know transition to where you are today? Wow. Yeah. So um, I, I began my public safety career back in 2000 at the Mason County Sheriff's Office. And fast forward eight years into that career, we just got back from a search and rescue mission and a friend walked into my office and said, man, that was a long one. Um, wouldn't it have been great if we had one of those predator drones? And uh, I, I, I was, a, I'm a technologist. I always say that I'm a pragmatic technologist. Um, I typically like to find solutions for problems and not take a solution and try to go find a problem. Um, but uh, but I, I originally was like, yeah, right. That, that doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Fast forward a couple hours, I'm sitting by myself in my office and I thought, you know, I wonder. And I began to do a little bit of uh, Internet research, found the L.A. County Sheriff's Office, um, got a phone number, called Commander Sid Heal. He said, <laughs> we tried, we failed. Good luck to you. The rest is history. I think by 2009, 2010, we were really one of the first law enforcement agencies uh, in the United States using drones um, operationally. Um, we had really the first operational COA from the FAA in the United States. And then fast forward to 2015, I exited uh, the sheriff's office, got a job working with Dragonfly Innovations, uh, worked in the private sector for a couple of years in the drone space. It really wasn't for me. I'm a, I'm a servant at heart, I think. I think there's more to 
more to the paycheck, at least for me and the way I'm wired. And then in 2017 was hired on at the Center of Excellence for Advanced Technology Aerial Firefighting. And, and we are the research and development group of the state fire department here in Colorado. Yeah. First, before, before, before we go any further, we got to talk about Sid Heal for, for a second. And so um, I met Sid Heal. He was teaching classes uh, when he was at the sheriff's department. And uh, first of all, an excellent instructor. He's written, I don't know how many papers and books. If you ever look at his CV, it, like you can find it online. His CV is like 17 pages long. It's, it's just an amazing, amazing, an amazing person. So he's not afraid to get into things that are different, right? No, you know, so. Yeah, so so the idea of, of, of Sid with with the drone, I can just imagine that phone call because uh, he, he's definitely an animated character. Uh, he's larger than life. And so if anybody had the opportunity to meet Sid, you would understand why I'm kind of laughing about him saying, ah, tried it, didn't yeah. work, good luck, Absolutely. you know? I think, funny funny story. I went in blind. I, I had never heard those two words together in a sentence. Um, uh, and, and just through networking, right, playing the, hey, I'm a sheriff's office, you know, personnel, uh, blah, 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 playing that card. Um, I got his cell phone number. I called him. He was, he said, uh, he called me back, said, Hey, sorry, Mr. Call. I'm, I'm driving to another class I'm teaching. We had a great conversation. I went back to the, my then sheriff and told him that I just, I chatted with this guy, Sid Heal from, uh, from LA County Sheriff's. And, and, and my sheriff looked at me and said, you just talked to Sid Heal? <laughs> I'm like, I guess. <laughs> or his impersonator. Yeah. Yeah. And he's he's definitely he's definitely a character, one of the smartest guys I've ever met. And uh, of course, you know he's a marine, so you know that's it's always that part of it too. But yep. we're not here to talk about Sid. We're here to talk about aerial <laughs> attack and some stuff like this. Um, and I, I kind of want to get into it. So we're as as we we're talking about before the idea of using drones for different things. Um, you know, we've gotten to the this is before we got in the air here, everybody. So we're talking about the idea of using drones for doing. Um, power line inspections and all sorts of things like this. Um, how do you see drones really kind of moving from that preventative measure type stuff to maybe even part of the actual uh, fire response? Ben, go ahead. Well, yeah, thanks, Todd. Um, I, we, the drone play is really mobility um, and, and, and democratization, right? Aviation's always been mobility. We, we loose the bounds of the earth and, and, and travel in straight lines, I always say. Um, it's been very expensive. It's not now, et cetera, et cetera. And, and that's just the beginning. Uh, we're doing the basic thing. Hey, getting better assessments of incidents by getting an aerial view from even 20 feet off the ground, let alone 400 feet off the ground. Um, but really next, our, our next stuff that we're working on is um, still that mobility play and now working into bigger systems. Uh, we're chatting with a company right now whose claim is is 100, 150 pounds for two hours in a multi-copter uh, uh, setup. Um, and, and we think there's an opportunity there. We do our best Kung Fu, if you will, in the state of Colorado from a fire perspective um, is, is early detection in that rapid initial attack. We, we've got significant resources in play right now um, that we, we see the fire when it's still in that single tree stage. The, the lightning has recently occurred. There is a single tree that's burning our goal is to kill 90% of those um, incidences when there's value at risk. Um, and, and we're getting very good at that. One of the challenges we've noticed is that so we found it, it's still hard to get to. Um, we, we're getting better and better at knowing where resources are in real time and getting those dispatched to that detection location. 
But a lot of times they come up to, hey, we know where it's at and we can see the smoke and it's going to take us a half a day to get there. Um, we think that a drone carrying, you know, 10 gallons of a long-term retardant could fly up and, and even something as simple as painting some circles around that single tree so that it's contained until people get there and do their thing. I think there's on, on both ends as well, Todd, there's a opportunity to leverage drones for mitigation. So being able to fly missions over forested areas or the WUI, as we were talking about before, and the wildland urban interface and have a, a very detailed understanding of the vegetation, the moisture content, uh, combine that with weather data and other data and, and get and, and get really solid uh, data to support where mitigation should occur and how mitigation should occur. There's a lot of uh, investment coming in California right now for wildfire mitigation coming out of influence from Stanford University, for example. And uh, and I, my biggest fear, if the, if the funding's coming around for mitigation, is that we're going to, as I say, drive to the end of the dirt road and start mitigating there, because that that's the easiest place. The truth is, it's the it's we don't really know where we should be doing this per se yet. And and drones can have a big role in that. On the back end, once we have a recovery operation going on, um, there's a, a big drones and VTOLs can have a big play there. I'll give you an example. I live uh, most of my life in uh, Western Colorado. We just had a big fire there uh, about 15 months ago at East Troublesome. It was a 200,000 acre fire that almost took our house out. And I watched the next summer as two helicopters spent spent months on all day long sorties carrying about 500 pound loads of grass seed and mulch to try and replant certain areas that were burned by the fire. And uh, I can't imagine a more expensive way to do that than the, by that model. And in the future, we'll have these vertical takeoff and landing vehicles or giant drones that are maybe initially manned and then later unmanned that can do those same sort of missions, but with, with, with much greater precision and using data about exactly where to drop it. So I think there's a lot of op opportunities with drones and and and, and all the, all aspects of wildfire. So I I, I kind of want to get into the size of the drone here for a second because I, I just want to paint this picture for everybody. When we think about drones, we go from like the Predator drone, which I got to see one of those things. That's a pretty large piece of equipment. It's not really? small. Um, I mean I don't even know what the payload capabilities are on that, but the, it's a pretty big pretty big bird and then you have the drones that could fit in the palm of your hand that and i want to say drones not the toy ones that you could buy your kids but i mean like actual drones that can do some really neat uh video um they're 149 grams i think they are it's just underneath the, the level where you need to have a license mm -hmm. you know so there's a range there um when you guys are talking about drones what what level are you looking at? Are you looking through the whole spectrum or, you know, or is it just those big, huge predator drone type that you guys want to play with? I, I think the answer to that, Todd, is yes. <laughs> um, it's everything. Um, you know, there's, there is a play for access from the small drone, something that fits in a suitcase in, a, in the back of a pickup truck that's available. And because of availability, there's an efficiency play there, right? I'm the first guy on scene and I've got it with me. It's not something I order that takes transition time to get from its airport to me, et cetera. It's, it, I have it right now. I've got that initial assessment from that bird's eye view to the, okay, we know what's going on here, but now we need persistent observation of the event. And now I'm ordering in uh, type, we call them type one UAS. They're the scan Eagle 
FVR 90 size and picture a Ford truck with three people in a trailer and they set up and within, you know, an hour of arriving on scene, they're airborne and then they stay airborne for 15 hours at a time and, and provide, you know, observation for us. So, so yeah, I, I think the answer is yes in a lot of ways. And I think even beyond that, there, there were at some point we'll be leveraging VTOLs, these things that are, you know, air taxis, vertical takeoff and landing vehicles yeah. that, that will end up carrying perhaps thousands of pounds of payload, maybe fire, maybe carrying gallons of, or hundreds of gallons of fire retardant or, or water, or, or like we were talking about before, um, seed mixture. And, and, uh, those things I, you know, might have eight motors and, and be able to carry thousands of pounds and stay aloft for three, 400 miles. And, wow. and, uh, initially they might have a pilot on board, but eventually those will become autonomous as well. I do want to ask a question about this as, as well when we talk about the pilot versus autonomous. So there, as far as I know, and this is this is me being not 100% understanding everything, so thank you, you guys are here to, to answer my question. So I hope everybody kind of gives me the grace of, of, of my knowledge. So um, now there's the autonomous drone, which we think of as just you just push some coordinates in and it goes, right? That's what an autonomous drone is. And then there's a pilot drone which we think about like even like the predator drones where there's a person in a box somewhere with a joystick driving that, that, that plane. Right. Okay. Yep. That's, that's correct. I, I would one, one little comment on that is most drones are both. Okay. Yep. So then when we're looking at the drones that we want to use for, for firefighting and the stuff that we're working on here, is it more of the, I put a coordinate in and the, and the drone goes out and does this thing. Or do you, do you guys really think there should be some I, I question? Like I've asked this question because again, I don't know. Uh, do you think there should be somebody in a room watching that? Is that like, what's the, what's the best of, of the, of the application for what we're talking about here? I think there's two kind of thing, two, two pieces to this is in those rapid early stages. Um, the mission itself is ill-defined i.e. we're kind of defining what the drone's going to do in real time as we arrive, right? We're doing assessments. Hey, I want to send the drone over there. I think I want to send it over there. So I do. And when I get there, I realize I actually want to go over here. Mm -hmm. That's a pilot in the loop activity. We're real time driving that thing from point A to point B, absorbing knowledge as the mission progresses. And that knowledge is directing what we do with the drone. Um, a lot of what Todd's talking about in those um, doing the assessment things is, I've actually almost administratively identified, I want this area of data. It's 300 acres of fuels or a thousand acres of fuels. In fact, I've even designed that flight path at my office before we go on the mission. I take my equipment to the field. I upload that information to the drone. I hit the big green go button and it flies that grid for me. And there's a pilot managing that as Ben's yeah. describing, but there's going to, there'll be a day not too far away really when uh, a company or an individual might take out 15 drones and one person is watching over all 15 of them flying in, in, in a grid so we can cover an area much, much, much more quickly or a much larger area. Yep. So I've got two more questions just on drones. One's more technical. The other one is uh, more, more fun. So the technical question is I've heard and I've seen where like, um, I think it's FedEx, um, is looking at using drones for delivering the big jets, mm -hmm. right? Um, I mean, is that something that's, again, 
is this something that you really want somebody to be that thing flying by itself or is there a pilot like kind of what's that what's that look like i mean like what's the i'm sure at some point will everybody be comfortable with that because i mean the flight pattern's right there you know flying over without anybody in it but um what's the technology on that and and i'll take that first ben if you don't mind yeah Yeah. airplanes fly themselves almost autonomously now anyway every airline that's up in the sky right now there's not a human being touching the stick there there it's it's flyby coordinates and we've been doing that for decades and what what you have is a you have it's in the term of art is pilot optional the pilot could take over if something were to happen and i think it i think it as time goes by and the next generation comes up and and us old guys leave the leave the leave the field it'll become more and more and more accepted that that's what's going to happen but i think it will always be done in some sort of way so that a human being could take over if necessary, it's especially something big going a long ways away, but it won't be one, a one-to-one relationship where there's a pilot attached to a plane. It'll be a pilot managing a fleet, for example, that can mm. handle any one of those at any given time, or maybe there's a couple of people. It's going to look more like that. Can planes land by themselves now? Yes, they do every day. And they yeah. do every day. Absolutely. I, I, to add to what Todd just shared, yeah, the, the reality is, is you've been in an airplane that flew itself. Um, you just didn't know it flew itself. And part of that is, you know, the, the, our current culture, right? Um, uh, I, I learned a crazy story when we first started doing elevators in, in uh, big cities. The, the elevator attendant was not necessarily there because people couldn't figure out how to run the elevator. The <laughs> elevator attendant was there because no one would ride the elevator without that human, hey, I'm here too and it's okay. Um, now now we don't do that you you know you go to your local you know holiday inn right you're not gonna walk in and wow this is a fancy place they've got a guy that runs the elevator for me um we do that in aviation like todd said right now that's a especially transatlantic flights that's a i i i program i hit the buttons and i sit back and i monitor um that industry is looking at the reduction of pilot staff right from a business perspective because no longer do we really technically need two people operating the aircraft it can easily be done and, and really technically is today operated with one person there's that cultural component my expectation is that as that cultural component progresses with those realities we go from two pilots to one pilot and eventually that pilot is just the elevator attendant and then when they become the elevator attendant i i kind of wonder what's next all of those things require a culture of acceptance i.e hey i'm okay with that if i if I board the airplane and look to the left and the cabin door is open and I don't see anybody in there, I'm okay. I'll still go in and sit down. I, we're a long <laughs> way away from that. Right. Yeah. It is a plausible future. It is. A, it is a trajectory too, right? And and I really believe that acceptance of uh, and I'll, I'll use I'll use a an example. Uh, you and I, Todd, were talking before the show about a helicopter being in your backyard doing tower inspection. And it's a real annoyance and and but it, it's a funny thing if we if i see an ems helicopter flying over my house in the mountains in colorado i have a very different approach to that noise and that disturbance than i would if it were a guy joyriding in a helicopter and ter- carrying tourists sure. you just accept that you accept slow moving farm vehicles on a road because that's just part of what you accept and i think in in public safety and wildfire response and healthcare and moving medicines or, or um, being able to uh, spot fires and put out fires early, I think the public will accept these new technologies in those places before pizza delivery. 
for example. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, I, I've I've heard, and, and I don't know if this is just you know fantasy at this point, or if this is something that's really happening. I, I sometimes I can't figure out of that right that um, they're actually moving um, hearts via drone and it's faster. Is that is that something that's really happening, or is something that an idea? That it's being have? tested. Okay, being tested. It, it, it's technically occurred at least once. Okay, that 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 just what blows my mind because like I mean I remember you know it has to be the ice pack and you have to have somebody carrying it and get into a helicopter with a crew and get into the place and the doctor had to carry the heart so this is just replacing a, a moving removing friction of that right yeah. right and be, bear in mind that the process there just like in wildland firefighting of moving supplies out somewhere it isn't to fly it isn't to move something from from point C to point R it's to move it from point A to point Z so having these th- these technologies integrate with a lot of other things is going to be important. Heart, I participated in testing with heart delivery, for example, and moved it from an autonomous helicopter to an uh, to an autonomous drone to an autonomous car, and and that that multimodal approach is going to wind up being the more of the reality. And and that's and one thing I'd really like to bring up right now is these things aren't going to fly in vacuums. We're going to need very sophisticated communication systems. We're going to need a sensors and an un- a much, much deeper understanding of weather and wind and in and, and a way that we just don't have the, the detail up for today. And then all that stuff is going to have to be integrated from a data collection perspective and, and be able to be available to remote monitors and that will bring all kinds of data together to actually be able to really manage wildfire situations. So the drones is, are just going to be a small tool, an important tool, but in a much, much bigger toolkit of technology that will be assembled together there's being assembled together to actually really manage the missions better as as a a, a, in totality all right here's the here's the fun question after this fun question we'll get back into some uh some (laughs) deeper dive into to firefighting um so the olympics they showed how you can use drones for doing all sorts of kind of crazy pretty light show and i was reading this article where they're talking about some cities are looking at getting rid of fireworks on the 4th of July mm-hmm. and doing drone shows. As they could hear in California specifically where, you know, an errant firework can create, you know, create a lot of uh, damage. Is that something that you guys support? And, and does that take drivers? Is that all automated? Yeah, I'll, I'll jump in there just because there's a, an actual connection uh, with that and the division of fire prevention and controls are, our fire agency in Colorado that we, we grant the permits for the major professional uh, fireworks shows. And, and obviously with our wildland fire risk, that's one of the big things that we compare, you know, the request to the risk to. Um, and, and yeah, I mean, that, that is an alternative for when it's a no to fireworks, it could be a yes to basically flying led lights. Um, and, and to answer your question, yeah, it's a, it's a fully autonomous. You, there's even a graphic interface where you're not really con- technically, um, programming each drone, you're drawing it on a screen and that software says, okay, this is what you drew. This is where I need the drones to go. What colors they'll flash when, et cetera, et cetera, to make that shape in the sky. It's, it's become really popular. And we're, I've talked to a company in South Korea that does that for a living. And what they're doing is they're really learning a lot about how to manage airspace with a lot of flying things in the same area. It's actually really valuable process, a really valuable step forward to be able to have airspace deconfliction and be able to manage a lot of flying things and moving around in, in, in similar airspace. But it's it's becoming wildly 
popular all across the country. Drone fireworks displays. Yeah, I, I, I live near Disneyland. Um, and from my house, I live up on a hill and I can see the Disneyland fireworks pretty mm. clear every day. And but it was funny. My daughter goes to yes, yesterday or the other day. She's like, Dad, there's a lot of smoke that comes from those fireworks, huh? And I'm like, yeah. She's just like, where's that all that smoke go? And I'm like, kind of goes up into the air. So, yeah, I mean, so not only is it is it doing stuff that's safer than fireworks, it also, especially here in California, when we have, you know, uh, bad air quality days, uh, right. it, it stops with that stuff, too. So that's it's a win-win-win, I think, all the way across the board. So sorry, Ben. You're going to say something. I'm not oh, I, I, it was incredible. I, I was apologetic. I was interrupting, but funny. I was going to say Disney. Um, Disney has multiple patents on what they call the concept as a flying LED screen, and it's basically if each each drone can provide a red, green, or blue light that's exactly like your LED uh, TV, and if you put enough of those in the sky in a grid, it is a TV. What? Yep. Get out of here! That's wow. That that that, that is that's that. Thinking about it, absolutely makes sense. Yep. And, and actually, probably easier to do that from a a flight perspective, right? I just need, I need all my drones to fly in a ten by one hundred grid um, instead of these complex three dimensional shapes. And then we just tell each drone its specific color, and your eye sees a picture of Todd. <laughs> I'm excited about. The, the integration of of drones in, into wildland firefighting in a, in a prior and an active way. And it's difficult to do now. You hear stories all the time about how heli the helicopter was grounded because some amateur was flying a drone nearby or yeah. the airplane couldn't take off to fight the wildfire because of drones. And, and it's simply because we don't have a great way yet to, to manage the airspace with, with traditional things and, and these new things. And it's coming very quickly. And I think that's going to be the barrier. Once that's crossed uh, and that is solved for and the acceptance is, comes, that will, that will, that's when you will see a lot more integration and very active wildland firefighting. So I think for, for a while, we're going to be in, in working on mitigation. We're going to be working in early detection and early suppression and recovery just because it's going to be, very, it's going to be a while before drones and these bigger VTOL craft are actively engaged in and at the same time with helicopters and airplanes and people underneath them. How long are we away from having drones to be able to deliver people to the, to the fire? I, two years ago, I would have told you five years. Yeah. Interesting. And, yeah. Uh, but I think, so that means three from, I still think it's, I think it's three, three to five years now. With all the equipment and everything, where do you go? Yeah. We'll be able to stage equipment at airports uh, and be able to move firefighters and equipment, probably first firefighters. So think of it this way. If we really do know, and Ben and I work on this a lot, where people are, where assets are, where trucks are, where humans are, and we really do know where airplanes are, we have a complete understanding of the field of battle, if you will. And we'll first be able to bring equipment. I'm a firefighter. I, I, need a, I brought a, a chainsaw, but I need an ax right here have a, a piece of equipment brought to a firefighter, a group of firefighters, or even pre-positioning entire, you know, command posts, for example. Uh, but then, then eventually we'll be able to, to bring people to those locations as well. And that's probably five, six years away, I would bet. Maybe three for equipment and five, six for people. Wow. I don't know if you agree about that or not. No, I, I agree with that. I, we've, we've, te we've tested equipment delivery successfully. 
Um, we have not done equipment delivery at, on a fire incident yet. Um, but I would say where we're at with that now, that could happen as early as this next fire season. Um, I mean, we right now with commercial off the shelf drones can deliver a hundred feet of one inch fire hose, uh, a gallon of gas for your chainsaw, a gallon of water, uh, lunch, those types of things. Um, we're ready to do that today. Um, I think in an, in an automated fashion, i.e. I'm in the field and I, to Todd's example, I've got a chainsaw, but I need an ax. I go to the app and say, send me an ax to my location. And that ax is deployed from the logistics group uh, via drone. I, I think that's realistically, yeah, I, I think you could see demonstration of fully autonomous um, resupply within the next five years. Wow. So, and the cool part about the in, in my, and I always think about personnel um, issues, is that it was it's going to reduce the amount of people that you have to put on the on the fire, right? As far as like who's doing stuff, but at the same time, you'll still have, um, you still have the human element in the back, out of harm's way necessarily, um, that can do more on the logistics side. Is that kind of one of the one of the uh, the goals of this? I, I don't know about a reduction in people. Uh, it's more for, force multiplier, i.e. that single human resource gets more done. Um, right. Because right. of those, we're not sending a firefighter from the line to hike back for that gallon of gas. They're simply going, you know, beep, beep, it arrives. Um, they continue to fight fire. We're therefore more effective. So for those reasons, I, I don't really see a future of reduction of staff. Um, I just see that force multiplication efficiency gain because I agree with what you're saying though, Todd, there will be more people who are involved in the logistics process and, and have a very different skill set. I certainly hope, and I, and I know Ben does too. We talk about this every time we speak that putting fewer human beings at risk would be a a wonderful outcome, right? right. Right. Having humans working in ways that are just further away from the fire or uh, with better protection or better equipment or whatever, that obviously would be a wonderful outcome. And I think that's very achievable. Yeah. I don't think yeah. we're putting firefighters out of business. Mother no, Nature. No, that's, not, no, that's not what I was trying to get. Mother, Mother Nature but, has a way of uh, winning that, that battle. Winning that battle. Right. But, but to Todd's point, we right now, a logistics person who is fire qualified, but is not an active fire in that sense, will drive food to the fire line. Right. We, we put that person with you know less training less ppe in some cases in harm's way to deliver resources yeah i mean i i we, we did this right? i mean i i remember having our uh our cert volunteers uh delivering food to the front lines pretty much uh you know during during fires and not that they're on harm's way by any means but they're definitely getting you know closer to the to the action that most people who uh I uh, haven't gone through fire academy that we're comfortable with. You know what I mean? So yeah. it's that it's that balance between how do we get supplies up to the front lines and not take a human. Um, you can take that human element out of it and, and time too. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, driving a van um, up to the fire line to be able to drop off equipment compared to, you know, having a one app push button captain orders a, more equipment and it's all of a sudden in the air and over T in 10 minutes compared to a 30 minute drive. Right. Yeah, straight, straight lines to squiggly ones. That's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, we're, we're getting kind of closer to the end. I just want to give uh, both of you the opportunity to talk about uh, your organizations. And and so, Todd, tell me a little bit more about the Advanced Mobility Collective. 
Yeah, we're a, we're a not-for-profit. We're based in um, Raleigh, North Carolina, and and uh, Winter Park, Colorado. And we what we really do is we have a wide variety of technology and other partners that that join the the collective, as we call it, and and we work together as a team to partner with people like Ben, who's a great partner of ours, who uh, to to be able to salt to assemble technical solutions to real world problems. And then what, so I face industry and stand on one side of the mountain and face industry and see what technology is available and how to assemble it. And Ben describes himself and he'll go into more of this is he stands on the other side, faces operators, people they're actually trying to, that actually go do this for a living and understanding what they need and what they're willing to accept and helps them integrate these new technologies into the environment. So we're great partners in that sense. And, and it's a, it's a, our, our, our mission is to be able to frame real world uh, challenges and be able to go solve them with some of these really new, amazing technologies. And t- Ben, tell me a little bit more about the center of excellence. Yeah, I I was just thinking back, you know, as Todd's talking about our partnership, um, it, it, that in itself is a force multiplier. Uh, you know, I, we get the things that I see, I, I get paid to um, uh, figure out what the future is from a, a capabilities perspective. And then, uh, you know, research and develop those new tools to get there, right? Um, I can only do so much. Our resources are limited. And through partnerships um, like ours with AMC, et cetera, it's, it, it's a force multiplier, right? They're, they're working on projects that we need to get done um, alongside us. And, and, and then the specific component that Todd talks about that's very valuable to us is they're a, they're a conglomeration of industry and speak that language and understand that. Um, we get to work on kind of the, you know, mission sets and use cases and, and operational tests of new equipment and prototypes, et cetera, and then provide that back to our industry partners that say, okay, cool, this is a, an operator developed solution instead of a, hey, had this weird research project that told us these things or we developed this widget and now we're trying to see if we can commercialize that and sell it to this customer. <laughs> That's kind of the, hey, we've got this solution looking for a problem approach where the collaboration that we have with Todd is, we, we, hey, this is our problem. And Todd says, I've got this huge group of people all working on technologies that these three things assembled become the solution for that. And, and that, that relationship is, I think, profound. Um, our agency is unique in the fire space, really in the United States. Um, and one of the things that I think was um, just, just um, man, it was, was advantageous to the legislation that created us in 2014 was that the state legislature of Colorado said, we need to be actively looking at what's next instead of it just kind of happens to us, right? Where it's industry directed, it's more, um, it's operator directed. It's the people that are on the ground. I work with those folks. Those folks are our stakeholders. I have, um, my entire staff has a public safety background. We know the space. We've been there, done that. The problem we're working on has been our problem at one time in our careers. Mm. Um, and we are full time. Um, a lot of other agencies have those folks identified within their organizations that in their spare time are given the space to work on these next, you know, on these problems and these next technologies. And then the call comes in and they got to go back to the primary job. Right. The project gets put on pause until that's over. In our case, we're full-time, 365 days a year, you know, focused. And, th- and that's been very productive and I think uh, a model for the future within public safety. 
everybody if you haven't had a chance to go check a look at the websites both of them um they're great they have a lot of good information over there uh and you're going to be a little jealous too of all the toys they get to play with so uh, <laughs> I, I for sure i for sure am ben and todd thank you so much for spending time with me this morning you wonderful are. to be here thank you thanks todd Hey everybody, thank you so much for spending time with me this morning and uh, learning more. And like I said, it's for me, this is always exploration and trying to learn more about uh, things that I don't know about. And, and uh, drones uh, are always a, a, an amazing uh, tool that we can be using. And uh, I had to recommend it. Go to the websites, check things out. And everybody, until next week, stay safe, stay hydrated. <laughs>